So I had a life lesson not too long ago. A couple buddies of mine, we get together every year to do a hunting trip and we're looking for elk and deer. And I was up in uh, western Idaho near a town called Sagal. So we get on our RVs and we kind of compile over at one of the guy's houses that lives there. He's got a nice piece of property. And anyway, so one night we had a problem where this young guy, John, who was new to our little group, he was running around one of the RVs trying to figure out why he couldn't get the microwave to work, right? So, of course, me being me, you know, I'm trying to help out. So I grab my Leatherman and I go over there and I say, hey, what's up? He says, wow, the power went out. I can't get the microwave going, right? So I'm like, okay. So I made the assumption that uh, it had to do something inside the RV <clears throat> because, you know, I figured in the back of my mind, he must have checked the 30 amp plug, right? So I'm going around and I'm looking at breakers and looking for fuses and I find underneath one of the chairs in the seating area around the table that there's a bunch of screws there and it's actually behind the breaker panel and I figure, you know, there's got to be a fuse in here somewhere. So I'm about halfway through taking this thing apart and one of the other guys' name is, his name is Bud, nice guy. So he's, he's basically on the outside of the RV looking in the window because we had the window open and he says, uh, hey, did you guys check the 30 amp plug out here? Because it looks like it's it's almost almost all the way out of the plug. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, oh man. No, I didn't check that. I just made the assumption that John checked it, right? So he says, okay, well, hold on. So he goes over, plugs it in, boom, everything lights up, everything starts working again. And the lesson that I learned was you got to make sure that you question everything. When you're going into a troubleshooting situation, you got to start with the basics. And that was the mistake I made. And that's typical for guys who've been around a long time. You have a tendency to make assumptions about things. And I made it a few assumptions that ended up, you know, wasting 15 minutes of my life. But the worst part of it is, is these guys, I've known these guys for years. And I can just hear it now. Next time we're at hunting camp next year, he's going to say, well, looks like we got the chiller pro here today. Too bad he's not a plug pro. Stuff like that. So anyway... Just my learning experience, make sure you check the basics out there or you're going to get chastised by your friends for sure. So I get asked from time to time what a process chiller is. Now it annoys people when I do this, but a lot of times when I get a question like that, I'll turn it around on who asked it and say, well, what do you think it is? And I'm really amazed on the responses that I get. Some people think that large tonnage centrifugal chillers are process chillers, although they can be. Other people think that any chiller that's running glycol is a process chiller, also partially true. And it just amazes me. So what I'm trying to do today, guys, is I want to dispel with the mysteries about what a process chiller is. I'm going to do some comparisons to centrifugals and really give you guys an idea on what you're dealing with here. Now, my, my hope is that if you're a technician or your business owner out there, I'm going to increase your comfort level with the whole subject because there's huge opportunities out there in the process chiller world. I talk to business owners and, you know, if you're doing air conditioning only, your business tends to be a little bit seasonal and process chillers, just like maintenance contracts, can be a really great way of smoothing out your business 
uh, and making sure that you keep your good techs busy all year round. So it's just another opportunity. For technicians, it's also good to expand your horizon a little bit. You know, same thing, right? So if you're a residential, commercial, HVAC tech, and you know, you're running maintenance, you're doing you know, services on those types of systems, you have these lulls during the year, and if you have a special skill, it'll certainly make you more in demand and create your opportunity base. So that's kind of the idea of it. Uh, for business owners, I want to go back to them for a minute. If you're you know, in a situation where you have a customer, and this happened to me, this is kind of how I got in the chiller business to start with, you have a, a commercial customer, and let's say you do the air conditioning maintenance on some kind of a hospital or medical clinic or imaging center or whatever, and you know you get a phone call and say, hey, you know, you're doing the air conditioning on my building. Do you think maybe you could take a look at my chiller because my MRI is down, right? So first instinct, your muscle memory might say, eh, that's not something that I do. And the downside to that whole thing is he may go to one of your competitors that does chillers as well as air conditioning. And let's just face it, a lot of building owners want to consolidate their services and limit the number of contractors they deal with. So you may have a missed opportunity and potentially down the road, a lost customer. It does happen. So I want to increase your comfort level with what process chillers are. And then I'm going to share with you a, uh, a little segue into some future content that I'm going to be putting out there in the area of process chillers to make you guys pros. Let's look at this graphic here. Now, if you're watching the video, you're in great shape. If you happen to be listening to the podcast, there's still going to be a lot of good stuff in here. So when you get a minute, pop over and take a look at the video version at processchilleracademy.com. Just click on the blog vlog and you'll see all of the video versions of the episodes in there. All right. So this graphic here is showing a centrifugal chiller. This is a large tonnage centrifugal chiller. These typically run from 100 tons on up. Right? They're used for all kinds of stuff. Now, these are specifically designed, in most cases, there's exceptions to every rule. I want to point that out there. But these are used primarily for comfort cooling. So if you have a large campus where you have a central mechanical building and you have a ton of, of uh, satellite uh, outbuildings, this is the type of chiller that you would expect to see. A high-rise, whether it be office building or high-density uh, residential, very popular. Mainly with these, why these are so popular with mechanical engineers is that you have a lot of flexibility in design, meaning that you can have control, high levels of control over the fluid going out to your air handlers. You can also transport that cooling medium a long way without having to run ductwork, obviously, uh, across the campus, right? It's easier to send the fluid out through a pipe, distribute it within a building, off to all the air handlers, pick up all the heat energy, and then bring it on back to the chiller. So that's what these are specifically designed to do. Now, there are instances where uh, facilities will use a very, very small portion of the fluid coming off of a, of a centrifugal chiller like this for a process. But it's not real common. And the reason why is, is because the leaving temperature going out of one of these chillers is typically between 43 and 45 degrees. That's their sweet spot. And processes, which we'll get into in a minute, 
they typically can vary a lot as to what type of what I call approach temperature. Approach means the fluid leaving the chiller going to the process. So they'll have approach temperatures that will be all over the place. Now, you can do some amazing things using secondary heat exchangers. I've got customers that did that where you use the building 43 to 45 and let's say you have a process that has a requirement for say 70 degrees approach temperature to the process you can put in a secondary heat exchanger that is doable however it's not practical in a lot of cases and we can get into that if you guys uh, have questions about how to do that but uh, typically that's that's not a real common application for one of these chillers right these are very very narrow bandwidth to what you can do with the refrigeration side the cooling medium pressures and flows right so but they have their they have their market this episode is brought to you by GND chillers if you find yourself in need of a process chiller check out GND at gdchillers.com or better yet give Andy or Paul a call over there 800-555-0973 Andy and Paul are my go-to guys over at GND Whenever I get approached by resellers, end users, even OEMs looking for a quality chiller to be designed and built for them. So check them out. If you do call them, make sure you use promo code CHILLERPRO so they know how you find out about them. GND Chiller, I love their tagline. It goes big enough to produce and small enough to care. And that's definitely the truth out there for sure. So again, call GND Chillers. Ask for Andy or Paul, 800-555-0973, or check them out online at gdchillers.com. So let's flip over to process chillers for a minute. And unlike a centrifugal that's designed for a fairly narrow bandwidth of market opportunities, process chillers are built specifically for whatever they're cooling. So, for example, if you have a brewery, distillery, winery, something like that, they all use chillers typically. And the chillers that they use will be specifically designed for the approach temperatures that they need going to the process. Uh, the temperatures as well as the flow requirements. So you have a small brewery, for example, that may have just a few tanks. So you'll need fluid temperatures sometimes slightly above freezing, sometimes colder, sometimes warmer. And let's say they want to expand. They go from just a couple of tanks up to 50 tanks, right, that they expand over the years. You need to make sure that that process chiller expands along with it, or chillers, right? You'll be able to add to it. So the concept is, is that the, the design of the refrigeration system and the design of the, the fluid dynamics need to match whatever the requirements of the process is. On the other side of the spectrum, which I was just talking about cold, there's also warmer sides. So you have the specialty applications like MRIs, CT, uh, CTs, linear accelerators for cancer therapy, um, lasers, you name it. There's a lot of high-tech applications, semiconductor testers, things like that. They can't tolerate typically anything colder than usually 50 to 55 degrees. In those applications, mainly the processes are located inside. They, they want to keep the fluid going to these processes above the dew point. And you guys are technicians know what I'm talking about. If you have a pipe that's running 40, 45, and you've got an exposed piece of, of material, piece of pipe, what does it do? It starts to sweat, right? So 
you, you typically on a, on a high-end process, you're going to run your fluid approach temperatures above the dew point, 55, 60, 65, in order to keep that, um, the potential for condensate down. So that's a big difference. Um, and these warmer temperatures, again, require a specific design of the chiller's refrigeration system. That's compressor, evaporator, condenser, metering device selection, special controls a lot of times to be able to service that process effectively. All right, so that's the differences between the larger tonnage centrifugals and a process duty chiller. In future episodes, we're gonna really get into what process chillers are about. We're gonna be talking about the refrigeration systems. Uh, we'll be looking at you know package split. We're gonna look at the different types of components that you have within these applications. Uh, I'm also gonna be talking in detail about control architectures, pumping requirements, and things like that. So we're gonna get into what's going on in, inside these machines. And my whole goal, as I mentioned before, is I wanna make you guys proficient at understanding what these systems do and how to properly address the customer's needs and just take good care of them, right? And I think you'll find that your horizons as far as keeping busy all year round and expanding your opportunity venue is gonna be just amazing. Before you take off, I and you happen to be looking this on the video, I would encourage you to click on the right-hand side of the screen that you're on and leave a message. If there's anything I left out or anything that you would like me to further embellish on, definitely give me your feedback because, again, as I said before, these episodes are all about you guys. Also on the video page, you can scroll down a little bit and you will see that there's a, a form to fill out to get email alerts. So when, when we drop a new episode of the Process Chiller Pro podcast, you'll get an email letting you know that it's available with a quick link to it. So thanks for stopping in. I appreciate it. Let's keep the conversation going. Connect up with me on LinkedIn or leave comments. I'm, I'm always around. Or at the end of this video here, you'll see my email address. Don't hesitate to reach out to me. Take care and we'll see you again soon.